the bottom line is natural culture plays a big part of that. And I think when we look at it, for example, from a remote first context, the amount of different national cultures we're now dealing with, but are the companies equipped to train people to address those challenges? Welcome to the new Nomad Podcast, hosted by Alan and Andrew of Insured Nomads. Join us as Alan and Andrew interview and explore the community of people and ideas that embody the nomadic spirit. Tune in to incredible discussions with thought leaders each week that will help you take full advantage of the cross-border remote work lifestyle. Now here are your hosts. Welcome to the new Nomad Podcast. We have a great guest today. John Lee will be joining us from the Work From Anywhere team. I think we're going to have a really wide-ranging, freewheeling conversations. But before we get to that, I'd love to bring in my co-host, Andrew Jernigan. For those of you on YouTube, can see a very interesting background. Where are you at today, Andrew? Well, hi, Alan. I am joining you from Birmingham, Alabama, the beautiful Birmingham. You can see the Vulcan statue in my background. It's good to be home as well as visiting advice. Advisors, investors, team members here in the Birmingham area this week. I'll be at another one of the Alabama-Germany partnership events, and which we're a, a sponsor of. And yeah, it's it's good to be in Birmingham. Where are you today, Alan? Well, I am. I'm back at the home front here in Wilmington, Delaware. And thankfully, looks like we're going to have a nice week ahead. Which one of the great things about being home? It allows me to continue with my hobbies and avocations outside of work. I too, like you, are a remote worker, and I know that after a long weekend of of tennis. I now can get to the week ahead of, you know, getting some work done and making sure the lawn looks wonderful. How about yourself, Andrew? What do you do in your spare time from a hobby perspective? Because one of the things I've been reading recently is folks that don't have communal events or hobbies tend to be less happy and satisfied with not only their own life, but their work existence too. Yes. I, as I reflect on that, Alan, I think, you know, I'm still a dad of young kids and a lot of my hobbies revolve around on my kids' hobbies and their passions because, you know, they're in lacrosse and other things. I took my kid to camp yesterday, my youngest son. So that's one thing. Yard work is one of those things I really enjoy if I've got the right tools, you know, it's, and luckily I do have a big yard these days. So that helps along with some wonderful pets. Pets don't qualify as a hobby, but having a puppy does require a lot of time and energy these days. So those are some of the things that reading is something that I put high priority on that off work time. You know, I know it's swinging the pendulum quite far to say reading could be a hobby. It's not a hobby. It's a necessity in life. So that doesn't really fall in that spectrum, but I throw it in there anyway. Well, it's important. Whatever is relaxing and fun is good. Well, let's bring John in because I know John has traveled around the world and, and had a really interesting blog post about how, you know, being a remote worker, being a location independent individual allows people some freedom to chase their hobbies, their dreams, their aspirations. John, welcome aboard. Where are you at today? I am joining in from Limerick in Ireland. Pleasure to be on your show today, guys, uh, Alan and Andrew. So one of the sidebars we had earlier, John, that I think is really interesting is the travels that you've had, you know, with your daughter and some of the experiences that you had. And I know we're going to get into a lot of depth of conversation, but how rewarding that must have been for you to be able to share how many countries you could share with the group here that your daughters joined you at and some of the experiences there. That's right. So I, my eldest daughter, Rosa, by the time she 
she was uh, 17 months old, she'd been to 23 countries. She's four now. But for her, I mean, it's just seeing the growth that she went through. By the time we finished our couple of months, for example, in, uh, in Southeast Asia, or based in Phuket in Thailand, uh, she could do the Thai greeting. And she had just grown so much from the experience. I mean, I literally was traveling around the world with my wife, T, and it was something, probably the happiest moment of her entire lives at that stage. We left an indelible mark, which we'll never forget. Isn't it interesting when you see the world through a younger set of eyes sometimes and things that get the attention and it's the simple things right i remember the trip to thailand there it what a wonderful place but i think at the age that you bring you know i still remember when my parents took me at like age eight for the first time to scotland and i remember that trip probably as much as anything do you think the impressionable young minds it's even more important sometimes to get folks out well it is for me it is i mean for me traveling and seeing other cultures has broadened the you know my mindset my ability to think differently to the empathy of seeing things from different people's eyes. And I think that's what kids get as well. Uh, I mean, I go back to that time in Thailand. I, I mean, I never cried, but I actually did cry that last day we collected Rosa from the crash after six months because of the incredible love that they showed her. I mean, all the cultures, they have a different way of dealing with kids. And so, you know, they can only grow from that experience. Again, going back to that particular point of her life, it really left a mark on Rosa as well as herself. It's funny when you also travel with kids, you see how cultures handle children differently. Mm-hmm. I remember when we traveled with our kids to Scandinavia, there was a playground we went to that had some you know things that you could really crawl up on very high, but there was an asphalt base. And I was thinking, you know, remember talking to some parents saying, you know, in the United States, there would be rubberized or chips. And, and they looked at me incredulously and they're like, yeah, but isn't that how they learn not to fall? You know, it was just a really interesting difference when you raise kids there. You're in Ireland now. How is it different with the children being back home? Well, first off, they're close to family, which is great. I mean, for me, my wife and Dee and I, for us, our Irish culture is something extremely important to our identity. And on the one hand, we want to travel the world. We want to experience different cultures. We want our kids to have that. But at the same time, we want to give them at least a bit of a base of spending time where, you know, giving them some access to this Irish culture that we grew up with. And for sure, we're definitely going to go traveling again in the next year or two. There's a good chance we will go off to uh, some other parts of the world, wherever that will take us. Uh, but certainly for now, it's just exactly what we need. We actually had baby number three only about seven or eight weeks ago. So a little boy. And uh, yeah, so we've been pretty busy. That's great to hear, you know, because having three kids myself, one of them born in Ghana, the other two, you know, all three having multiple passports, it's critical that they have the home culture. And, you know, even we named our puppy recently and my wife being from Brazil, many of the names that she wanted to name had a more Brazilian tone to them. You know, Sophia rather than Sophie. We landed yeah. on Sophie for this golden doodle and she wanted Sophia. And and Nicholas was saying, no, we live in the US. We're not doing a Brazilian name. And, you know, it's instilling the home culture is so crucial. It really is. No, is. But a, yes. a, point, a point on that, Andrew, which is fascinating, is you know, we've, had, we've had babies in different countries and it's fascinating to compare the Dutch system, for example, where, you know, hospitals are an absolute last resort. You very often not even go near them versus Ireland where it's seen as a medical condition as if you're almost sick almost and everything is run through the hospital. So the experience also having kids in different countries was an eye-opener for us as well. So it's interesting, some of the different podcasts, I know we've gone down a, like a couple of different avenues here. The one thing I'd love to ask you about, I read your blog and there's some amazing blogs that I to our audience to read a few of these, but one that really stood out to me, could, could you share with our audience the blog that was the work from anywhere myth? I thought that it, this is actually something I hear about all the time when, well, frankly, I have a lot of people who listen into this podcast to say, I'm not 
necessarily going to be as adventurous as those people who pack up and move everywhere. I, I travel, et cetera, but they just can't get their mind about work from anywhere, myth, so to speak. I, I'd love to turn it over to you. Well, yeah. So the fascinating thing, first of all, is how we define this market. So pre-COVID, we had digital nomads who are a small percentage of the market going from the half percent, maybe 1% of the travel market. But what's really exciting right now is the whole concept of working from home and what that means from work from anywhere. And that's the market that's going to absolutely take off where you've had people that you know are working from home, either in a hybrid situation or fully high, like work from home that say to themselves, well, I might take two or three weeks holidays, we'll work abroad in Spain or Mexico, wherever it is. Um, but then they want to say to their employer, I'd like to tag on a couple of weeks onto that and maybe a couple of months, maybe two or three months working, uh, you know, working abroad. And that's the fascinating one where that's the one, it's it's something travel is very emotive, especially being locked in uh, indoors for a year and a half of a pandemic. I think people are kind of seeing the world and particularly travel a bit differently. There's a, a real kind of a latent bursting need to go traveling again. When you combine that with work, it gets very exciting. But the work from anywhere myth was more, ta- let's say, tapping into the challenges that it's not that easy. Uh, you've got to watch out. You can't just take off and go work abroad for a couple of months because let's just say one, take one example, duty of care. If you have an accident, all of a sudden, you know, your employer can become at risk and could be sued for it. Also, for example, personal taxes, your own personal taxes. There's lots of other different angles that you've really got to watch out for that can all of a sudden explode into a huge risk if you don't manage it correctly. If you manage it correctly, it can be great for all parties. Do you think the digital nomads, though, are making it easier for people to, you know, issues are always the tax issues. You think the digital nomad visa is helping a little bit? It's an absolute game changer, but not all digital nomad visas are born equal. So some digital nomad visas, they wrap around tax and they include everything and they're fantastic because they're like a business visa and they make sure that you won't have to be, let's say, subject to local taxation in that country. Whereas other visas, they give you a business visa to work there, but the tax side is not quite clear. You could potentially become tax resident. So again, not all born equal, but the ones that do cover you for tax, they are an absolute game changer. And I think they're the ones to watch out for, right? I mean, already we had Ireland's number two in government, the Ofrikar, was saying that the Ireland's high personal tax rate is going to become a huge risk for the migration of very, very high income tech workers migrating abroad, going abroad permanently or on this vacation, for example. And that's something needs to be watched very, very closely. I mean, there's the second and third and fourth degree impacts from this. Nobody knows, but they'll have to be very, very closely watched. Yes. What's the case now will not be the case in a year and a half, two years from now, because more countries will have these visas because they're wanting to attract people to come spend money, rent the expensive homes, expensive compared to what locals might pay. But yet the home country, the passport country is losing all that revenue potentially unless they left their home as a rental property. So it's it's a thing that we're going to have to watch as society changes this global workforce shifts and taxation. You mentioned duty of care, the liability, the assumptions that people think that, oh, my insurance travels or the health scheme in my home country will cover me if something happens abroad, which mm-hmm. really is just due to ignorance and not having international exposure. Mm-hmm. And so it's there are so many things at play. And then you take in schooling and yeah. banking. 100%. It, this goes on and on. What's, what's absolutely fascinating is what people could get away with pre-pandemic when it was just digital nomads who were a small part of the market is just not going to be the case of so things like you know, travel and health insurance, things like personal tax, corporation tax of those mobile workers, you know, things of like duty of care, employment law, those risks just cannot be ignored. And there's a real risk for either the individuals or the employers to put their head in the sand in this, it's going to completely blow up in their face. And I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of the more traditional, maybe conservative companies have just kind of put their head in the sand in this and just said, no, just a blanket no, this is not happening. And also potentially one of the reasons why some of the bigger tech companies, uh, well-known ones said no initially, but then with a lot of pushback from their 
workers said they'd try and reconsider it. So it's a very fast moving space. And I think the innovative solutions that tackle this, the companies that tackle this issue earlier on, they're going to have a huge advantage from a talent attraction, talent retention perspective, you know? Well, and I think you touched upon that in one of your blogs that I, I thought was really interesting. Also remote work and the inversion of the work pyramid. And maybe you'll share with your audience this, but it does kind of tie into that. I saw a number that was like only 4% of employees want to return to work full-time at the office. But explain to us a little bit about the inversion of the work pyramid. I thought it was really interesting reading. Yeah, so we've been around for hundreds of thousands of, of years and the work hierarchy and how we've organized ourselves, you know, going back to the tribes, going back to our most primitive forms, you always had a hierarchy. You had a tribe leader, you know, who directed the rest of the pyramid on where things were going. And you know, that model of how we work has been in the case for so many, many hundreds of thousands of years. But literally it took until remote work came along that it literally shifted the pyramid upside down. So what do I mean by that? Well, basically every country and every industry around the world, more or less, it's as if they all banded together and they said, listen, we're going back to the office in September. Um, the whole world's employees more or less turned it, up and out, turned it upside down and said, hold on a second, we're not doing it. We are not going back to the office. So that's in many ways the power dynamic of management and how you know companies are organized has completely shifted. And again, going back to the second and third impacts. I mean, is that a structural shift or is that a temporary one? I'd be interested in you guys, your thoughts on it. But my sense is this is a real structural shift and the companies that don't really understand that and think ahead what this means are the ones that are going to lose out. Yes, it's a, a shift of the foundation of how companies will operate from, you know, looking at our scenario where we have to say, okay, we were remote from our founding, not mm. as a reactionary measure. Before pandemic, when we started, we were a remote company. But that means claims that's normally meeting in a building is remote around the world. It means crucial aspects are joining in from Zoom calls and things that are just normally not done this way. And those that are having to shift have a much sharper curve of adjustment, emotional and just the psychological effect of those who are so accustomed to those face-to-face -face meetings. Those, here's a piece of paper I just printed off. I put it on your desk this morning for you to sign versus the e-signature process for everything. And as we delve into this more and more, I think that there'll be a lot of technologies that come and go as they try to solve some of the needs. And there will be employees that say, I can't hack it. I'm going to move to a company where I can go to an office. I just can't do this remote, this work from home mentality. So it's going to go from that ball is going to bounce in several directions and different people meeting their personality types, different managers and executives are going to have to shift as well. And some will not be able to make it. So this is, this is an interesting ride that we're on. Well, I think so. And I think especially if you look at it industry by industry, because some industries just don't suit remote. I mean, if you're a hotel, you can you've got to be there in person. If you're, you know, a highly regulated manufacturer, highly regulated bank, for example, you can't just, you know, send people abroad, for example, to do a workation abroad or anything like that. Um, and on the other hand, you know, while work is where it's going, there's no question people want that. Uh, at the same time, trying to find the balance from a company culture perspective between meeting up, somehow facilitating face-to-face, -face. you know, there are key relationships built. Uh, so whether that's in company retreats or having some periodic catch-ups in the office or whatnot, or whether, like you said, it's also the evolution of, for example, virtual reality technology or very sophisticated video call technology. I'd say Google are working on something like that as well. You know, there's going to be some exciting solutions here, but I think it, the, the shakeout of this is going to be fascinating because I, I really don't know where it's going to end up, but clearly remote's going to be a big part of it. Well, you know, John, I think there's an environmental component of this too. Not only do people want to work in a better work environment, but 
I used to hop on an airplane for, you know, business meetings, for lack of a better word, was, you know, handshake meetings and, you know, just kind of building relationship. But when we did do conference calls, they tended to be without seeing the other person. And now we've made the transition. I think the pandemic actually accelerated this process by 10 years. But, you know, now I think twice before hopping on an airplane and, you know, having my environmental footprint larger than it needs to be when I could do a Zoom or Teams call with you, right? And to me, you know, as we see a lot of the environmental impacts of travel. And many of the people in this work for home community are very passionate about the environment. A lot of them are surfers, hikers, you know, people who get out with their children. We want it better for our children. I think that, you know, working from home may actually turn out to be a blessing that way too. And wondering what your thoughts might be on some of the unintended consequences of working from home. And you had also another great pickup on how culture, individual personality, and organizational culture direct how people are influenced in this area. Well, exactly. So if we go back to the pyramid metaphor and instead take it from a different angle. You know, how we behave in work is is influenced, you know, as I see it, between our individual personality, our national culture, and also the organizational culture side of it. Uh, But this is where, if you look at even just, for example, your own individual personality versus your national culture, you know, when a coach for me, when I have been asked to do keynotes around the world, I often survey the audience and I ask them, okay, how much are you your personality versus your national culture? And it's always the answer is either maybe 25% personality, 75% national culture or vice versa or 50-50. But the bottom line is national culture plays a big part of that. And I think when we look at it, for example, from a remote first context, the amount of different national cultures we're now dealing with, but are the companies equipped to train people to address those challenges? And then you mix it with the organizational culture, but then also managing the individual personalities. I think it's a, a real melting pot, but addressing those three parts of the risk of the, of the pyramid, let's say, is you know going to be really crucial. And I think, like you said, it's just accelerated uh, the whole dynamic of this uh, 10 years ago, by, by t- at least 10 years. Well, I mean, I look at this, that if you get the national culture wrong when you're doing like opening a new store, or your organizational culture is not matched up well with the individual, et cetera. It's a three-legged stool. Any one of those edges fall off, you fall over. And there were some great stories that you had had out on your blog about that, but it really resonated with me. And well done. Do you know why though as well? It gets fascinating why it's so relevant now. I mean, we again, go back to the, I, I like talking about how we have been around for hundreds of thousands of years, but we, we did first start off with individual personality. We then moved to our tribe or organizational culture, but it is only in the last 30 years that national culture really has become so important because of the deregulation of the airline industry and the creation of the internet. And especially with remote work, you know, the internet has just, again, just matured and accelerated so much since then. So I think that is one of the reasons why it is something that's going to get more and more of a focus over the coming 10 years. This is that point where we've got to ask you, you know, you've traveled to dozens of countries. You've spoken to these major corporations around the world in your various roles throughout the years. You've seen a lot. You've lived different places, expat assignments. Would you share with this tribe that is the new nomad, no longer the expat, no longer just the location independent, the wanderer, what is the one overlooked place, person, experience you choose that you feel that people should experience? Okay, so I'm a big believer that we are all a ball of energy and connected in many ways uh, to the universe, to each other. The energy we give off ourselves is uh, the energy we get back in many ways. And for me, I was hugely impacted by the pyramids of Chi, Ubud in Bali. It was in many ways a spiritual home place for me. I just it left such an impact on both myself and Dee. What was also nice about uh, Ubud in Bali is you had the green school. And I would absolutely love to send uh, our little clan over there at some stage and spend some time there. It's uh, very much 
touch, a very innovative teaching style, which connects people to nature, spirituality, meditation, all sorts of different techniques. And it would be something I would highly recommend for anyone that's that way inclined, that is open to something different to their kids. You know, because I suppose it's so, in many ways, it's not just about us, really, in many ways, more so about our kids and the impact we can leave behind uh, them, the way our parents left, you know, an impact behind us as well. So certainly the Pyramids of Chi and the Green School of, of Bali would be very high on my own personal to-do list again. That's interesting. You know, it reminds me of Digital Nomad Week that's coming up in December of this year, December 2021, in Bali and online. That's digitalnomadweek.com. They're expecting over 10,000 people attending, but either in person or online. And many of the speakers are Bali-based. I just encourage you, everyone, if you would, check out digitalnomadweek.com. I'm reminded of it just because of the strong influence that Bali and the uh, remote worker force has in the world. It's one of the first places that people go, I believe, in this in this plight, this journey of working around the world. Um, why would you say that's true, John? Well, I mean, for me, it's uh, there's something special when you get a bunch of like-minded people uh, who are in many ways, in many ways you find your tribe, isn't it? I mean, we're all in many ways trying to find our tribe in life. And when you get those like-minded people, the energy that you get from it, learning, the growth, the impact that leaves from you is something that you've got to experience. And so for me, that's the beauty of life is finding like-minded people, finding your tribe. And uh, yeah, that's one of the places that's why that left such an impact on me. So to that end, folks that have listened to this podcast, how could they find you? And also, if you could just mention quickly about your website, www.wfa.team, which I thought was tremendous if somebody has a tax or question along that. So I'd love you to share where people can find you and the work from home, work from anywhere anywhere team. Yeah, absolutely. Please do check us out our website, wfa.team. We've got a free tool to help remote workers and digital nomads assess their tax residency risks when working abroad, which is the number one risk for both the employers and employee perspective. So very happy to help out. We've got a global network of tax experts that are more than happy standing by waiting to help out. Fantastic. Well, thanks for joining us today. And I do recommend to our audience, please check out John's blog and you've got the website. We'll have that in the show notes. Fantastic conversation today. It's always great to learn something new. Andrew, as we always tie together, what did you learn today? The thing that stands out the strongest is how that John brought up, and we didn't go deeply into it, but is the duty of care liability that employers have these days that they never had acknowledged previously. They didn't have to because they had just said no. But now as they've given into pressure, they're saying yes, but their HR department doesn't realize, their insurance broker doesn't realize the risk involved. And so that's one of the things that just has me pondering. And I know you're, you've spoken around the world on that, Alan. So it's kind of feeding that one to you to see what you, you say in response. Well, I mean, there's the duty of care, you know, from the employee, uh, from the employer, and then there's the duty of loyalty from the employee back to the, the firm. And I think it's great. And it, it does tie into what John had mentioned about the inversion of the work pyramid. I think there's got to be a great balance here. But, you know, we need to still send people into situations where they have the preparation, you know, things like a panic button if something happens, the information so they're vaccinated properly before they go. And then the other hand, from an employer perspective, they don't want to have a liability that they weren't sure of because somebody ambled into that location. So it's a really interesting balance, isn't it, Andrew, between duty of care, duty of loyalty. And I think, don't you feel in the next few years, that's going to be something that's really going to shake out. And we're going to see, you know, how that plays 
plays out and where the balance is met. It is. I think of one of my calls that is taking place later today where it's actually government officials asking, you know, would you partner with us? Because we want to make sure that everyone coming into the country has a program in place. So partner with our country as we open up our borders in a grander scale to foreigners coming in. So yes, not just from the employee, employer, but also the host nation is taking into the account their responsibility in this in this picture, which is, is very fascinating. That That's almost set for a podcast on another date because that will be tremendous. And I'd love to learn more on that. So great conversation today. Thank you, listeners. As you all know, the new Nomad is not just a podcast. It's a community of people, ideas, and spirit helping you take advantage of that location-independent lifestyle. Please travel well, and we look forward to talking to you again in the not-so-distant future. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in to the new Nomad podcast, where we bring together an incredible community of people and ideas that embody the nomadic spirit. Please remember to subscribe and leave a review. For more amazing tips to help you take advantage of the cross-border lifestyle, please visit us at insurednomads.com forward slash podcast. See you next week.